This is Pulse of the Pack. There's Bledsoe. Down he goes. And there's Reggie White. White. And that's that hump move. Reggie's coming again. Reggie White. Reggie White's going to take over this game right now. Begins the count. Friends and family, welcome to We Dat Nation. We got, of course, the New Orleans Saints this weekend from the Green Bay Packers heading to Louisiana to beat up on the New Orleans Saints. The 2-0 Green Bay Packers tomorrow is game day in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. The last time the Packers won there is actually my first football memory. Brett Favre running around the Superdome with his helmet above his head. We have that in our open, of course, Reggie White taking over the game in the second half. I was five years old when that game took place. Jason, my counterpart who was with me, was 55 years old when that game took place. It used to be 85. I tried to get through that without laughing, but it's funny because I see you smiling as I'm trying to get through that because you know where it's going anytime I start talking. So, Jason, welcome. Uh, Missed you guys last week. How are we doing? We're doing good. I know where it's going anytime you start talking, Jake. So, it's good. Welcome back. I hope you had a, a stellar birthday celebration for... The now one-year-old, Miss Blake Westendorf. Yeah, I got to tell you guys, and Jason, I guess I'm mad at you. And Paul, I'm going to warn you now. Uh, one-year-old birthday parties are exhausting. So <laughs> just, just so everybody knows, we've got Paul, the voice of God, in the background here. We're having some issues with his video. So we're working on getting those fixed. But in the meantime, we didn't want to get rid of him. And honestly, this is the best I've ever seen him look because we've got beautiful little Reagan in the front yeah. there. So. This is as good as I've seen you, Paul. Paul, welcome, and my condolences uh, to everybody watching about, well, I know you're a big fan, but the Milwaukee Brewers, I cannot imagine being a fan of a baseball team that do not make the playoff or did not make the playoffs in a year where everybody makes the playoffs. So my condolences there. Well, we're still hanging on by a thread. It's not over yet. I will admit it's not looking good either. And I... I apologize to everyone. We're having technical technical difficulties on my end, as Jake pointed out. But this also going forward, because I could see this definitely being a much more pleasing view than my mug. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. So, I mean, if that's what we're going to do. So we're going to get right to it, guys. The Packers are 2-0 and after beating the Detroit Lions last weekend. A bit of a rough start. Uh, they're down 14-3 to at the beginning of the game, and my timeline is having a meltdown, which – I always find hilarious just because you guys seem to have forgotten that they're playing the Detroit Lions, which, I mean, there are a lot of things about 2020 that have changed a lot of things around the world. The Detroit Lions being the Detroit Lions are not one of them. And honestly, if not for Adam Gase, would we be talking about Matt Patricia as the worst coach the- in the NFL? I mean, Here's the thing. We have like a Bermuda Triangle of poop. That's what my friend Matt Bove likes to call it, right? And that is Anthony Lynn of the Chargers, 
Matt Patricia and Adam Gase. Bill O'Brien fits in there somewhere too, but there are some really bad coaches in the NFL, and Matt Patricia is certainly one of those. And the Lions are awful. It's absolutely insane the way that that all took place in front of everything. And, of course, what do the Packers do then after it's 14-3? to Well, they rip off 31 straight points, a 39-7 to run. It's 42-21, to or excuse me, 42-21 is the final score. Everyone's happy. It's a 2-0 Packers team, and we are headed into New Orleans now to take down Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, Sean Payton, and the New Orleans Saints. And the talking point that I want to start with, actually, guys, is these two teams are very similar, and I had an opportunity to speak about this week, and I wrote about it for Game on Wisconsin, and that is that I believe that the Saints, for years, have skated by on the same criticisms, and this is going to lead to a very similar rant that we had (laughs) Because I'm going to try and let you guys talk about it, but damn it, it makes me angry. The same criticisms that the Packers get, the Saints have been able to skate by on. But here's where I'm going to start. The criticism for the Packers is they have had Aaron Rodgers. They've only gone to one Super Bowl. And they have, quote, wasted the prime and the time that Aaron Rodgers has been their quarterback because they've only been to one Super Bowl. Okay, Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints have been to one Super Bowl as well. Since 2011, that's after each team has won their championship, the Packers have been to three NFC title games and they've missed the playoffs twice. Each of those years had a significant Aaron Rodgers injury attached to it. The Saints have missed the playoffs several times and none of those involved an Aaron Rodgers injury for it. Yet for some reason, they are this darling organization that is seen as this perfect little darling child of this media organization and they never get criticized even though objectively the Packers have been far more successful than the New Orleans Saints since 2010 than the Saints have. Paul let me start with you. Why is that? I do not have a good answer for you. I think the the easiest thing that I can say is that Aaron Rodgers is just the media's punching bag and he has been that way for years, and so he's just an easier target than what um, Drew Brees is. But it was about a year ago that I put out on Twitter, similar to what you said, and it wasn't knocking Drew Brees. Drew, Drew Brees is a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's been a fantastic quarterback over his career. Nobody's knocking him or questioning his what his ability was. However, I said the Saints had, what was it, three or four, nine and seven years in a row. And I seven asked, and nine. Oh no, seven, seven and nine. nine. Yes, that's what it was. Thank you. And I asked, what would have happened if McCarthy and Rodgers had gone through that stretch? What would the scrutiny have been from the national media? Well, Saints Twitter found <laughs> and they went nuts on me. And apparently, in case anyone was wondering, the reason that they went seven and nine was because they didn't have a good defense. That's what I was told. So just oh, in case well, I mean the Packers have had some stellar defenses yes. throughout Aaron Rodgers' career around here. That's what I thought the whole time getting those responses, but I just wanted to enlighten everyone. Saint, Saints Twitter told me, but like I said, I don't really have a good answer. I think it's just that Aaron Rodgers is an easy target in the media and he has been his whole career for, I mean, let's be honest, stupid reasons. And I think that's just what it boils down to and clicks. Yeah. And it continues to not make sense to me. And Jason, one more point that came from this off season was, so the Packers this year in the draft, they draft a, a quarterback, obviously, 
a running back and a tight end that people have misconstrued now as a fullback. And then everybody goes into saying that the Packers want to be more run heavy all off season and they're backward thinking and they're dinosaurs and they're just, they're not doing things the right way. Meanwhile, in new Orleans, their first three draft picks were, and let me recap a backup interior offensive lineman, Cesar Ruiz, a backup tight end, Adam Troutman, who is a project tight end, who's not going to contribute right away, and a backup inside linebacker, a run-oriented position, Zach Vaughn. Yet those guys are going to contribute right away, and the Saints are all in. Again, the disconnect does not make sense to me. I'm not saying that the Packers have players that are going to contribute right away from their draft class because they haven't. However, Josiah DeGuara didn't even play in week two, and he has outsnapped the entire Saints' first three picks from that draft class. He's played one game. Those guys have played in two. Again, uh, now Paul couldn't give me a good answer. Maybe you can. Why the disconnect? It's our Honestly, I think it's our fault. It's the fans' fault because, like Paul said, for clicks, our fan base will react. We're very defensive. We get very defensive because we've got a, a rich history that we want to protect and we're very proud of the same thing happens when the comparisons between Brady and Rogers were going on when Brady was in new England. So the media knows that they're going to come after the fan bases that are going to get them the attention and the clicks that they want. And especially the troll media, you're calling cowards, you're skip Bayless. Stop, stop, stop. Nope. Nope. Name doesn't get said on this show. Nope. There's only one name that I refuse to say on this show. And it's a former Packers player that we shall not name, but that's, that's the reason why. It's because they get what they want because our fans react because we simply can't help ourselves. And I'm not saying it's bad or blaming anybody because I've reacted to plenty of that stuff too, that, that we are, are upset about, Hey, look, we've, we've done plenty. The Packers have accomplished plenty. Aaron Rodgers, for whatever reason has done and tried to say all the right things. And I believe that I do believe that Aaron Rodgers is, is, purposeful and genuine in that what he says is well thought out. Do I think he's the greatest guy on earth and we'd be best friends if I met him? No, but his personality for whatever reason makes it easy to attack. And so he's an easy target. The other thing I'll say too, is that Sean Payton, for some reason had, I guess a little more of a a known or a storied, I say story because I can't think of a better word. This is when we need Peter Bukowski to come up with a, a term. A human I, thesaurus. Human Bukowski. thesaurus. And I said his name very, very sarcastically there. I do not have any issues with Peter. I'm actually very jealous of Peter and his vocabulary, to be honest with you. But Sean Payton, his history was known. He comes in, he's a head coach. He's an offensive guy. He's coached under Bill Parcells. He's got all this background, all this, all these, this time in the league. Mike McCarthy was kind of an under-the-radar guy. He came up through the, the 49ers, and all of a sudden he's coaching this storied franchise, the Green Bay Packers, and what the heck happened? And they didn't hire Sean Payton. And I'm not saying that the, the comparisons are intertwined there. It just have, so happens that the Packers interviewed Sean Payton, didn't hire him back in 2005 but or 2006. But that that's kind of also what I think it was, too. McCarthy just didn't get that respect. He didn't have the, you know, the, the – he's – He's great. It wasn't until Aaron Rodgers became a really good quarterback that anybody started talking about McCarthy being a quarterback guru, so to speak, or his quarterback school and all that kind of stuff. All those things, I think, kind of contribute to that formula of what you're talking about, Jake. Oddly enough, Sean Payton, the runner-up 
uh, widely reported for the job. It was between Sean Payton and Mike McCarthy. The Packers chose Mike McCarthy ultimately, um, you know, and say what you will. Yeah, that's that's another one of those things. The joke I make every time the Saints lose in the playoffs is it's it's a crying shame that Sean Payton has been allowed to waste Drew Brees' Hall of Fame career. And I, and I make that joke because of the things that you guys have mentioned. Drew Brees has only been to one Super Bowl. Sean Payton's career winning percentage is lower than Mike McCarthy's. Uh, and this isn't a Mike McCarthy defense rant, although I can certainly go on one of those as well. The point of the matter is this, is the Saints, for some reason, are a darling despite having – these two teams are very similar with what has happened since 2010. Yet, like I said, for some reason, the Saints are this darling and the Packers are this redheaded stepchild for whatever that reason is. I don't know, and I'll never know. What I do know is this, is the Packers, like I mentioned, have been – and don't let anybody lie to you. Aaron Rodgers is better than Drew Brees. There's no question about it. And that can be the argument that people will make because they'll talk out of both sides of their mouth, right? The argument that they'll make is that, well, it's, it's embarrassing for the Packers. And the reason we make this argument is because Rodgers is better and nobody talks about Drew Brees in the same breath as Aaron Rodgers, which is, I almost caught myself, which is nonsense because then in a breath later, they'll be talking about how Drew Brees is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time because of volume stats. Aaron Rodgers is better than Drew Brees. There's no question about that more talented. The only thing Drew Brees has is volume because he's played for like 20 years longer. has the longevity. And frankly, for a really long time, because of those bad defenses that Paul mentioned, Drew Brees was racking up stats because his team stunk. So he was kind of a garbage time King for a while. Now this isn't meant to be disrespectful to Drew Brees. Like I've said, Paul mentioned it too. First ballot hall of famer. No question about it. One of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen played. Not in the same breath as Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is one of the five best quarterbacks ever. Drew Brees is not that. And I realize we're talking about a Drew Brees today, which is, you know, he's into his 40s. How many times have you seen Aaron Rodgers throw an interception like the one Drew Brees threw on Monday night against the Raiders? Never. And, I mean, Drew Brees has thrown more interceptions in seasons than Rodgers has in his entire career. Yes, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Nonetheless, you can't have that argument both ways. You can't say it's more embarrassing for the Packers because Rodgers is better than Brees and then make arguments that Brees could be the GOAT doesn't work that way. The Packers have objectively been more successful than the Saints in every measure that you could ever think of. You could say that the Saints are a bogus non-pass interference call away from going to the Super Bowl. Okay, I say that the Saints had a 10-point lead at home against the Rams team that all of you guys say all the time, Jared Goff is bogus and garbage and all this stuff. They blew that lead to him. Breeze had the ball on his home turf with his fans behind him, and he threw an interception. Sorry. He had the ball in his hands and a chance to win the game, and he didn't. They had a chance to go to the second Super Bowl with the ball in his hands. Aaron Rodgers hasn't had that opportunity. Now, if he has that opportunity, maybe I'll be more critical. And, yes, he has played poorly in NFC Championship games. Aaron Rodgers has yet to play well in an NFC Championship game, and that includes the one they won in Chicago. Yep. Nonetheless, the Saints have skated on these criticisms, and in the words of the legendary villain from the mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Ivan Ooze, on Sunday, it is time. <laughs> To pay the piper. That's fantastic. It is time, my friends, and it is time to move on because I have gone from this for too long. So I think I'm going to end up switching my pick by the end of this show. <laughs> so let's move on, guys. We've got the Packers and the Saints on Sunday evening. It is we will be waiting all day for Sunday night. Let me start. I hate Sunday night football. Oh, absolutely. Really? It's the worst. I do. I yeah. like the I like the idea of yes, the prime time. Everybody's watching our team. 
I like the prestige that comes with it. I hate waiting till 7.30 for the game to start. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm with you. There's two things. There's the the nerves and the buildup. I just hate how, you know, the day stretches out. And then also, you know, my bedtime normally is 9.30. So now I'm stretching that an extra couple hours. So there's so that. I'm on the West, yeah, so, so I'm on the West Coast. So think about this. For those of you who have never been out West, okay, the day on Sunday starts at 10 a.m., not noon. That sounds first fantastic. game starts at the first game. It is. It is. It's awesome. That's the one advantage. It's 10 a.m. is the first game. So the first game is over by 1 o'clock. You have the rest of your day back to yourself after 1 o'clock. Your game is over. Then the second game is at 1, and the night game starts at about 5.30. Now, when daylight savings, Arizona's uh, ass backwards. So we don't do daylight savings time here. So eventually it will be 11 a.m., 2 p.m., and 6.20. But that's still... Paul, that still makes your bedtime if the game doesn't go into overtime. No, absolutely. That would be that's ideal. So I get it, but I, I but I get it. So what I've learned is we all need to move to the West Coast. Got it. Okay. Uh hate night games. Prefer the noon kickoff for a lot of different reasons. I can understand why Jason doesn't, but you know, we're this is a Wisconsin-based show. We care about Wisconsin-based time, so we don't care about you people in Arizona. It's right. a retirement home out there, anyways. So anyways. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I think that was a Larry Fitzgerald joke. It, it may very well have been. Throw some shade uh, at the Cardinals. Hey, the, the 2-0, and soon to be 3-0 and Arizona Cardinals and surprise team thus far. Not um, for you, though. You picked them. You, I'll give you credit. You picked them in the preseason, uh, so that was smart. I did. Kyler Murphy, Murray, Dark Horse Murray. MVP. Murphy. I was getting Murray. the MVP. <laughs> Kyler Murray, Dark Horse MVP candidate. So I'm all for Swervin it. Swerving um, Mervin. Swer- Jesus, we are way, way, way <laughs> off track. Okay, so it's a 7.30 kickoff. The Packers are probably not going to have Devontae Adams. A little bit of news for you guys that broke before the show is that they have promoted old friend Darius Shepard to the active roster as well as tight end John Lovett, which – and Billy Wynn was also promoted to the active roster. It's unclear who is like the weird new rules of you can have 55 active and – who's that and who they actually signed to the roster and who's staying on the roster and who's actually going back to the practice squad. That part is all unclear. And we kind of have to guess on some of those things. Nonetheless, Shepard being pulled up doesn't seem to bode well for Devonte Adams's availability tomorrow night. Even if Adams is available, it seems likely he would be on a very, very limited basis. So Adams unlikely to play. Michael Thomas is out for the new Orleans saints. So both teams missing their number one wide receiver. And let's start there, guys. Which team is better equipped to handle the loss of their number one wide receiver? So I'm basically asking, who has the better supporting cast, offensive lines and everything included, without their number one target? And Jason, I'll start with you. Well, if you're going to include the old line in there, then it's the Packers for sure. And I think it's Green Bay anyway, because the pass catchers that they have, no one is going to be Devontae Adams, no one is going to be Michael Thomas. But if you look at the other pass catchers that the Packers have, and I'm assuming that we get a decent game from Marquez Valdez-Scantling and we get a decent game from Robert Tanya. Those are two guys that have had cases of the drops before, and when they don't play well, sometimes it can be problematic for the Packers. If Jay Sternberger ever decides to make us all look good and actually start to break out in year two like we thought he would, that bodes well for Green Bay also. But I I just, as far as the Saints, it's, it's Alvin Kamara – and Emmanuel Sanders. And I know that Emmanuel Sanders was on a lot of Packers fans' wish lists, but he's not a burner. So I he's not going to fill in for Michael Thomas. I just think I think Green Bay has has more options and more weapons. And then Jake, like you said, you throw the offensive line into the equation there. I think Green Bay is much better equipped to handle 
that as far as the offense goes, obviously. And Emmanuel Sanders was really, really coming off – is, is really coming off of a rough game on Monday night. He was really bad against the Raiders. A couple drops, did not have a good showing. Paul, what do you think? Who's better equipped to handle this without, without the number one receiver? I got to go Green Bay Packers. Offensive line, I give the nod to the Packers. Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara, we'll call that a, we'll call that a tie. But also the Packers have Jamal Williams, who I'll take over Latavius Murray. That would Tight be end. a friend of Game On Wisconsin, Jamal Absolutely, Williams. Man. Sure, you're watching the Jamal Williams show on Tuesday nights here on Game On Wisconsin. Tight ends, gonna go Saints with Jared Cook. And then receivers. I I mean, I like the Packers with what MVS and Alan Lazard are doing, but we also have to talk about the most important position, the quarterback. And I am absolutely taking Aaron Rodgers over Drew Brees. So both this is a matchup where both teams have similar, similar strong players, strengths at, at um, like positions. But I think the Packers have the – I think the back, Packers are better equipped to handle losing Devontae Adams than what the Saints are losing Michael Thomas. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think it's funny that we're talking about the Packers' offensive line being the one that is better because at the beginning of the season, we were – that was a huge question mark. And now it really it's like, was. oh, my gosh, it's they've played really well. I mean, granted, I'm not going to eat crow just yet. It's two games in, and it could still end up being an Achilles heel, if you will, for this team. But so far, I mean, Billy Turner hasn't even played a snap yet, and we're talking about how well this offensive line has played. And that's a positive sign going forward, I imagine, Billy Turner. And no Lane Taylor, yeah, too. Yeah, Taylor's uh, missed essentially the last five and a half quarters. He got hurt, I think, either at the end of the third or the early fourth quarter against Minnesota. So they've I been – I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to say that's one thing I really appreciate what Lafleur's done this year along the offensive line is before camp even started, he stated that he wanted the five best players out there, and that's what he's that's what he's put out there up to this point rather than, you know – I know Turner was hurt week one, but I think he could have played last week and, you know, going with the bigger contracts or, you know, they just signed Rick Wagner. He started off on the bench, came in, had to prove himself. I really appreciate too. Who's just playing well right now. Who is our best five and rolling with that? Started off on the bench and considering the fact that you're talking about the fact that they moved Elton Jenkins to right tackle in order right. to do that. So it would have been easy to justify starting Rick Wagner at right tackle. Now, Wagner's performance has certainly justified keeping him in the lineup. Let's talk about that. Actually the best five then right now, in my opinion, what I would do if I were starting tomorrow night, let's assume everybody, obviously Lane Taylor, not, but assuming everybody's healthy, my best five on the offensive line right now, uh, uh, duh, David Bakhtiari is your left tackle. Elton Jenkins is your left guard. Corey Lindsley is your center. I think that three is pretty rock solid. Mm -hmm. Right there. Uh, by the way, extend David Bakhtiari as soon as possible. Yesterday would have been preferable. My right guard is Billy Turner, and my right tackle is Rick Wagner. And for now, I'm eating crow on Rick Wagner because I definitely thought that was a significant downgrade at that position. He's played well enough, though, to the point where he has to stay in the lineup. And Billy Turner, I know that's the guy. I talk about this concept all the time of scapegoats on specific position groups, and that's the one where He's the one that everybody points to immediately. I think this was pointed out by Ross Uglum last week on our Game On Roundtable that through the first 16 weeks last season, Billy Turner was an average to slightly above average starter at guard. That has a lot of value. Week 17, he was hurt. Divisional round, hurt. Championship game, obviously hurt and bad. And those are the three games I think that stick out in a lot of people's minds. Billy Turner is not a bad player when he's healthy. Now, he clearly hasn't been healthy. He dressed last week, but it was very clearly a, in case of emergency, we're going to break glass and you'll play 
if absolutely necessary, but we're just dressing you as an absolute worst case scenario, emergency type situation. That being said, I see a lot of people already ready to hand the reins over to Lucas Patrick or John Runyon and John Runyon, remember, and listen, <laughs> I'm a Michigan guy. John Runyon is a Michigan man and he's got that pedigree of his dad. And he, I really loved him going into the draft. They could have picked him in the fourth round and I would not have batted an eye. That being said, he's a sixth round pick. He's played 27 snaps or something like that in his NFL career to just hand him the right guard position and just say, yep, it's yours. Go ahead, kid. Over a guy, Billy Turner, listen, he got that contract for a reason. Now, I'm not saying it was necessarily the wisest investment, but had he not gotten that contract from the Packers, he would have gotten it from someone else or at least something close to that. Billy Turner is the best right guard on this team, in my opinion. I don't think he should play right tackle, but if he's the right guard and Rick Wagner continues his play, I really think there's potential for this offensive line to even see a level that they haven't gotten to just yet. Jason, what's your best five? Any objection with what I just said? No, I think you're. I think you have it right there. You could, you could argue just simply based on uh, rust and hit the fact that Turner hasn't played yet this season that Lucas Patrick can hold it down at right guard for now. But if you ask me long term after this season, which is a long way away, I wouldn't mind if by the time next year rolls around, if the Packers decide that they, if they know that they're not going to stick with Turner long term and his contract doesn't become as prohibitive, that maybe Runyon doesn't get a look at training camp and in mini camps and in preseason next year. But yeah, that change shouldn't happen right now. The Packers are still in pretty, pretty fortunate position. And also considering the fact that Corey Lindsay walked off and did not return last week, it is very good news that he is okay and good to go for this week. That's your center. And Lindsley, whose contract is also up at the end of this season is, uh, is off to a really good start. And these guys who have contracts up this this season, all these guys, Jamal Williams, Corey Lindsley, Kevin King, Bakhtari, they are making it absolutely insanely difficult for the Packers to decide who they're going to pay because they're all playing well. Fingers crossed. And, and as Packers fans, we're all very lucky that that's the case. But Jake, I, your five is, is the same as my five. Yeah, the answer is uh, pay David Bakhtiari and, uh, and a move forward from there. Corey Lindsley, though, you've got a good point there as far as how well he's played to start the season. I'm, I've got a stat that I'm working on finding uh, that I'll get to that. But Paul, who is your best five for now and moving forward? Uh, not to be bland, but I agree with both of you guys. I mean, I think at this point, the left side from Lindsay and over is set. Wagner's proven himself through two weeks, so you keep him in. Um, I think Billy Turner has more upside and potential in what Lucas Patrick does. Lucas Patrick, if he's your sixth guy, like he may end up being for the Packers, you're in terrific shape. Um, and even if he's your starter, I mean, they're going to be fine as, as we've seen so far, but last week he gave up a pressure. He was called for a hold. Um, he contributed to a sack and there were a few plays where he was kind of blown back against, against on a running play and Turner by all accounts had a very nice training camp. And like Jake said, you know, the, the bad stuff is what we are, are, trained to remember for whatever reason but last year for most of the year he was he was a solid to average off offensive guard which compared to his predecessor byron bell i mean what else more could we ask ask for at the right guard so so i think billy turner at right guard um helps helps set up what that best five is and i'm with jake on this sense it's it's only week two so i'm not going to fully admit it yet but I might be eating some serious crow when it comes to Rick Wagner. 
Yeah, Byron, I agree, Janelle. I also have to get up for work. But, you know, being a responsible adult is also pretty overrated. So I'll throw that in in there, too. There's anything I can do that. Um, So that's what I'm going to work with on that. I agree with you guys. The the stat that I was looking for, I found, and this is from Jacob Morley of Pack Report, also friend of Game On. And he said, in the Packers outside scheme, when they run the ball middle left behind Lindsley and Elton Jenkins, they have been hashtag effective. Nine carries. 112 yards and two touchdowns. <laughs> That's freaking ridiculous. There you go. Two touchdowns. That's a 12.4 average yards per carry. So that's a lot and good. So to have Lindsley <laughs> back and, and ready to play tomorrow, uh, that's definitely paramount for that. So that's the Packers offensive line, which has been honestly one of the strengths of their team for through two weeks, which has certainly been a pleasant surprise. Something that hasn't been a surprise. Well, I shouldn't word it like that. Something that hasn't been a strength of their team through the first two weeks is their defense. And it's really been, I'm not going to call them a bad unit, but it's been very, very up and down. There have been stretches where they've looked dominant and there have been stretches where they've looked elementary. I I don't really know what the word is to use there, but it's been really bad. I need to start with Rashawn Gary because he's my child and I'm a proud father and I can't help it, but he leads the team in pressures with seven. He's got two sacks. He had two sacks last week. And, you know, Dusty Evely says it all the time that process over results. And in the first week of the season, the process was there. He was pressuring Kirk cousins. He got pressure that led to Jair Alexander's interception last week. He had a pressure that led to Shannon Sullivan's pick six. And then finally, some of the results started to come for him too. He had a couple of sacks that came in for everything too. So, With those things, the question that has been kind of posed now through two weeks is, has he been the best edge defender on the team? I'm not ready to go there just yet. I still think it's been Z just because you add in some of the other things that they're able to do and the chess piece and all the different ways that he's been able to play. But Rashawn Gary, I mean, what more is there to say with how how well he's been able to start this season and how they're able to use him and Paul, just how big can that be for this defense if he's able to continue his high level of play? And he's, I mean, Matt LaFleur basically said it. You could see he kind of smiled and said, I'm not going to say he's arrived yet, but they're excited about his development. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that would be huge. Look at what havoc the Smiths wrecked last year, Uh, you know, between the two of them. Z had over 100 pressures. I think between the two of them, they had 25 and a half sacks combined. Preston had another 60, 70 pressures on his own. I mean, just those two on their own. Now you can add in Rashawn Gary to that mix. Not saying he's going to be at that level in year two, but I mean, he might be pushing it. And <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what offensive lines are going to do with him. And I think this is a good. It's definitely a good lesson for the the naysayers and the doubters out there on draft night last year. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I was thrilled with the pick by any means, but the draft is about who a player is going to project to be, not who they are in that moment. And the Packers had the luxury of bringing along Rashawn Gary slowly. In a perfect world, do we want to see our 12th overall pick play 80% of the snaps and go out there and just wreck the offense? Absolutely, we do. You know what, Paul, and I don't mean to cut you off there, but something I've noticed over the past really three years in the first year with Gutekunst at the helmet was a little bit different just because the roster was in transition. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the first year, even that first season, Jair Alexander didn't start 
opening weekend. He ended up starting because he was ready. Josh Jackson started only after it was by necessity. But if you look at it, the only rookies that were day one starters or that has been the only rookie that has been a day one starter with Brian Gutekunst is Darnell Savage. That's it. Elton Jenkins wasn't a day one starter. He eventually became one, but that is it. And the only rookies then, if you want to go further that have gotten significant playing time, then by preference are Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage and Elton Jenkins. And I'm starting to wonder if that is a shift in philosophy because if you think about it, the, the complaint previously under Ted Thompson was that the Packers relied too much on rookies right away. Right. And now the complaint is that the Packers don't have rookies contributing to their team. So, I mean, I guess the point is that people are going to complain no matter what, but I think that's the shift in philosophy that you're starting to see. Cause obviously Jordan loves not playing and that was going to be the case regardless of who was in charge. But AJ Dillon hasn't played a ton. Josiah DeGuara is contributing a little bit. But last year, even Rashawn Gary, Jay Sternberger, guys like that had some redshirt type seasons. So that was interesting. Um, but that was kind of my thought on that. So what do you think about that? Do you think, have you noticed that shift as well? And do you think that's something that's kind of positive? Yeah, I have noticed that shift. I mean, like you said, you listed off the, you know, uh, Jordan Love, AJ Dillon, you know, QB3 and RB3 this year. Deguar, I think he'll get his snaps once uh, once he's back to being healthy, but and I think it's a good thing. You know, we're so trained that the first round pick has to come in and make an impact. You know, the Packers were a first round receiver away from being a Super Bowl contender this year. You know, Justin Jefferson, and yes, it's Kirk Cousins throwing him the football. He has five receptions through two weeks. I mean, would that be better with the Packers? Probably. But still, does that change their offensive output from what they've done up to this point? Maybe a little, but there's there's nothing drastic there. Like I said, the draft is about projecting who a player is going to be, not who they are in the moment. And I use this word, I've written this word a lot this offseason, luxury. It's a luxury to have Rashawn Gary play 25% of the snaps because he's behind the Smiths. It's a luxury to have Jordan Love be QB3 behind Aaron Rodgers learning for two years, three years, whatever it ends up being. It's a luxury. And the Packers and what they're doing, I, I like this. I like what Goody's doing because, as you said, Jake, and I know you've pointed out in the past before, everyone ragged on Ted Thompson because, you know, they'd come to these big moments in the 2016 NFC Championship game and there's rookies on the field or a first-year player, inexperienced players on the field that they're relying on. But what Goody's doing is he's trying not to have that. He's relying, He's using free agency bringing in veterans that we can lean on while the younger guys develop. And we've seen that with Rashawn Gary. I said the stat on here before about Gary's pressures from weeks 14 through 17. Uh, his pressure rate was almost 19%. Yes, it was a small sample size, but that still shows his progression and his what he's learning and developing as the season goes on. And now in year two, we're seeing him take that step forward. And ideally, you see that with other players as well. So I really like this approach, and I think fans are just people in general. We live in such a world where it's, you know, immediate, we need immediate uh, gratification for draft picks or anything, but it's okay to take time and let players develop because that's how it's supposed to work. Well, and you see the Mike Florios of the world, right? The, oh, how much better would the Packers be if they drafted? But I'm not allowed to talk about Skip Bayless and Colin Coward. <laughs> there are, listen, there are tears 
and we have a segment every Friday called Florio Friday. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that, yeah, that Dan Kotnick, yeah, Dan Kotnick. Oh. If you're not watching or not checking that out, check it out. It's great. It's yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's a pretty good comedic relief for you on every <laughs> Friday, but they write that stuff. And I just can't imagine writing that with a straight face, especially after how much better would they be if they drafted a receiver It's like, well, I don't know. Maybe they would have scored 50 instead of 42 in each of the first two games. I don't know. I mean, would the Packers be better off through the first two games if they drafted somebody that would be contributing? Sure. Maybe. I mean, why not? But I just don't know how as a fan, how you can be complaint. I granted, I know Mike Florio is a Vikings fan. He's not a Packers fan, but I don't know how as a fan you could be complaining about the draft after the first two games of the season. I guess what I've learned is Packers fans are not happy unless they have something to complain about. And that apparently is the thing now, because now that, the, you know, last year it was that Rashawn Gary sucks. And how do we have the 12th overall pick not playing? Well, now this year it's even if you like the Jordan love pick, it's all they drafted a quarterback a running back and a fullback, which is like, I don't know how you watch Josiah DeGuara in the first game of the season and just call him a fullback. Yes. He lined up at fullback, but that's not what he is. And to call him that is completely disingenuous and is only confirming your bias towards the draft, which is fine. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. Uh, I'm going to enjoy the two and O football team that is putting up numbers that are better than the 2011 offense as of right now. Now, that being said, they are playing a team this week that is actually a professional football team. And this will be a true test as to what they can actually do because the first two weeks, I mean, guys, let's be honest. The lions are one of the worst teams in the NFL. The Vikings are not too far behind them. And from an injury standpoint, and really even when they're at full strength, the Vikings and lions are not good football teams. The saints are, and when the saints are at full strength, they're going to be a, at bare minimum, a fringe playoff team to, you know, first round exit type playoff team. So with that in mind, Jason, that's kind of the thing when I'm thinking of as far as this offense goes. And I know we've talked a little bit about that. Uh, what, I mean, are they going to be able to match the Saints offense score for score? Because you know the Saints, I mean, Drew Brees, I know we've talked about this a little bit. They're going to get their points because Drew Brees, as much as, a, as much as his skills may have eroded from his right arm, his brain is still there and he can still beat you with his mind and they'll still score points that way. Now, the question is, can he score enough points that way? Obviously, I think the answer to that question is going to be yes to some degree. How many points that ends up being, I don't, you know, I don't know. We'll see that for later. But can the Packers offense match them stride for stride without Devontae Adams? I think they can. I think the offense will be fine. They'll shoot themselves in the foot if they don't. It'll be drops and things that they're self-inflicted. I don't think they're going to have trouble moving the ball against the defense. And listen, I also remember and know there's a reason why I chose the image that's behind me right now. The Saints have one of the best cornerbacks in the league in Lattimore and he's, he's good Their Their defense is still okay. They'll get a, they'll get a pass rush, but I, I don't think their pass rush is, is taking anybody down. And again, the Packers offensive line is a bigger strength than new Orleans. So if I think this could come down, it, it could be a shootout and I wouldn't be surprised. These two teams typically go that route. And, and, and I know in the two times, the last two times the Packers played in new Orleans, I think the saints were over 40 points in both of those games. So, and we're talking about a long time ago. We're talking about 2014 and 2008. The Packers haven't played in New Orleans very much, thank God, because they haven't won there much either. But I think they can. Aaron Rodgers is the big key is he's getting the ball out quick and he's getting it out on time. And it's not a matter of these receivers having to win one on one matchups. Devontae Adams is a special, special footwork talent. None of these receivers are going to be that. But this is where Matt LaFleur in a primetime game is going to earn his some of his biggest stripes is 
can you be efficient without your number one wide receiver? Can you can you scheme it so that this offense churns and runs and you can get somebody open and Aaron Rodgers can make that that right decision? I don't I don't see any reason why why they can't. I think I think they can absolutely go stride for stride. And then it just comes down to the defense on the other side for the Packers, just getting one or two more stops. That'll be the question is whether or not they can get enough stops. And, you know, that's the point as to whether or not you think they can do that. So real quick, guys, thinking on before we get to game picks here is on the Saints, offense, defense, special teams, what worries you other than the great Taysom Hill, which <laughs> I will, you know, I'm going to leave the Packers. Packer. Former Packers legend, which I'm going to leave. I didn't know gush- that. Yeah, I'm going to leave the gushing about him to the Ryan Woods of the world. But what worries you the most other than Taysom Hill in this game? Paul, we'll start with you. I guess, uh, not to cheat, but I'm going to go two guys. Alvin Kamara in the passing game and then Jared Cook. Packers have struggled against tight ends, I mean, over the years. And even this season, they haven't. I mean, this, the stats that they've given up to tight ends aren't eye-popping. But tight ends have been very efficient against them. Seven receptions on seven targets for over 100 yards. And then Alvin Kamara, he's typically the kind of player uh, that really, really hurts this defense. However, this is a different defense in past years with guys, you know, the Smiths and then, you know, King, Alexander, uh, Jair, or uh, Savage and Amos. But those guys in the passing game are what um, really scares me. And Drew Brees taking advantage of those short, easy throws. To me, that's going to be the key for this defense is taking those throws away. Um, Because we've seen this year, and there was even, you know, the last few games of last season, that Brees shown that he's not not the same Drew Brees that he is when he's throwing those intermediate and downfield routes. So the Packers have to find a way to take away those short, easy passes. And Kamara and Cook, without Michael Thomas, are going to be what I imagine – heavy targets of breeze. So eliminating those two from the passing game. And I know the run game, (laughs) that's a concern as well, but the saints haven't run the ball all that well this season. And I know it's only two games and, and the Packers run defense can make any average running game look proficient, but those two in the passing game are what worries me, getting them out in space, who's going to cover them and things like that. And I think one X factor in this game is Darnell Savage. He's played a little bit in the box this season. He's been primarily used as the free safety. My hope is that Petten puts him down there, lets him, you know, use those instincts, that athleticism, lets him roam, cover Jared Cook, you know, be be in the flat for those plays to Alvin Kamara and what and what have you. So that's what scares me the most. And I think Darnell Savage can be someone who helps, you know, helps alleviate that from the Packers' sense. Jason, well, Paul covered the player aspect. So I'll take a different route or a different approach to this here too. I think the biggest thing that worries me is the fact that the saints are staring at starting out one and two, and they don't want to do that. And they don't want to lose a big game at home like this. And they don't want to have to come to Lambeau in January. And the best way for them to avoid that is by beating the Packers in this game. So it's Sean Payton, it's Drew Brees and friend of the show, Bryce Christensen of the unknown Packers podcast. And I were chatting earlier this week and he reminded me that Sean Payton and Drew Brees are 10 and 0 on Sunday night football. So, and they're playing in their own stadium. Now there won't be any fans outside of family of the team. So the one big X factor that the saints won't have is the building shaking from being in a big game and a crowd that's going to get behind them and want them to win a big game against the Packers as well. But I just think the desperation factor for new Orleans is going to have them ready to go. And I think that breeze to Kamara connection, like Paul said, 
That's the one thing the Packers can absolutely not allow. I always say, don't let the obvious things kill you. And the Packers can absolutely not allow that whole situation on offense to blow up this game for them, or at least don't, don't let it take you out of this game and, and give yourself a fighting chance. So there you have it on their thoughts. My, I mean, it's hard not to go with Alvin Kamara. Like you mentioned, he's the type of player that typically just explodes against this Packers team. So, you know, I guess the other thing, if you want to look at it on the other side of the ball is Marshawn Lattimore's potential to erase the entire side of a field doing that in an offense, doing that with Devontae Adams potentially is worrisome. Doing that when you don't have Devontae Adams is even more worrisome. Uh, getting it through, you know, trying when you're already limited from a weapon standpoint, it's just a little more concerning that way. So that's kind of my thought on those things. My my biggest key to this thing for the Packers is squeeze the field. You know, I know Petten's thing is to try and limit the big plays. I think you got to be more aggressive. The Saints have not completed a pass more than 20 air yards down the field. So dare him to do that. And I know that sounds crazy against Drew Brees. But that's what you have to do, I think, is condense that field, play teams the way – or play the Saints the way that teams played the Packers in 2015 after they lost Jordy. Basically, don't respect that deep ball at all and squeeze that field all the way down. And if they beat you over the top, then tip your cap. But if you let them do death by a 1,000 paper cuts, Breeze will smile and say thank you because he can do that. Oh, There's that's feeding right into his hand. Yeah, there's plenty of ways to do that. So, and I just, as far as getting pressure and everything like that, you know, Breeze gets the ball out of his hands quick anyways. So, and he always has. So getting pressure on Breeze is something that's been hard to do throughout his career. Trying to do that on Sunday, trying to beat Breeze by hitting him has always been something that's been tough to do. So that's what I think the big key is for Sunday night. Let's, let's go to game picks guys. It is Sunday night. It is 7.30, it is at the Superdome. It is, the, like I said, the site of Super Bowl 31, and it is a site that the Packers have not won since that very night. So, Jason, the downer of the group, you may go first. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I won't disappoint you then, Jacob. So I had this one as a win for the Packers in our pregame or our preseason prediction show. But since then, you've got no Devontae Adams. I know that Michael Thomas is out for the Saints. But again, like I said, I think the Saints are playing with a little bit of the back against the wall mentality. Sean Payton doesn't want to spoil his record and put this team in a deficit that they might have a hard time getting out of later this season. So they're going to pull out all the stops to try and win this game. The Packers historically don't play well in New Orleans. That's Aaron Rodgers. He's only been there twice. All those, all those factors have me flipping my pick to the Saints just scoring one more time than the Packers do. And, and I'm looking at that score now and, and how the Packers have operated the past two weeks. And I'm thinking that this and, and the way that the Saints have played the Packers in the past, and I'm thinking that that score is probably way too low. But I think the Packers come one trip to the end zone short this this week, but then they get a chance to regroup and come back home and play uh, a team that they should beat the following week. So again, they're not going to go undefeated. And this would be a very understandable, I won't say excusable, but it would be a very understandable loss. It's still a tough place to play, even though there won't be any fans in the stands. Paul? I am flipping my preseason pick as well. However, it's for the Packers this time. You know, call me a prisoner of the moment, whatever it may be, but what Lafleur has done with his play calling, I'm just all in on it. I, he's been masterful these first two weeks, and from an offensive standpoint – Nobody's going to replace Devontae Adams, but keep in mind, in this LeFleur offense, the Packers still have plenty of pass catchers. 
Lazard MVS have been have done well this year. There's the tight ends, the running backs <clears throat> in that standpoint. And so I think that they'll still be able to be effective on offense, even though they're against a Saints team who has done well against the run. Packers will still get Aaron Jones the ball uh, in the passing game. So I think offensively they're going to be fine. And on the defensive side, like I said earlier, taking away Kamara and Cook are going to be the keys. And Jacob, you said it perfectly. Squeezing the field, taking away that deep ball, deep ball from Breeze is going to be crucial. And I think the Packers just do enough to come away with the win, 31-27. Producer Kyle, go ahead and throw your pick up on the screen. Kyle's requested to not be on the camera, which is – Oh, he, okay. Oh, oh, come he on. Lives. Why not? Why not? Why not? Come on. Um. I can no. think of a lot of reasons why not, but right, <laughs> I appreciate that. I should have known that was coming too. I kind of had that coming my way. Um, so my official prediction, I hate to be a tease, but mine is pending Kenny Clark's availability. Really? It, you know, we don't know what his status is for Sunday. I know, I know he's questionable. Questionable can mean a hundred different things. Uh, obviously he didn't play last week. Um, but I think this game and I hate to put it on one player, but I think I think the game on Sunday could come down to the fact of whether or not Kenny Clark is playing or not. He is such a huge part of the Packers' defense, their best player on defense, hands down, and he's going to be the force to, to try and stop Elvin Kamara. I know, I know he's a, a rushing threat or a rushing and a passing threat, receiving threat. Um, he's not Taysom Hill. He doesn't pass the ball whenever he wants to. Um I think that's what it comes down to. And if Kenny Clark plays, I think the Packers win. And if Kenny Clark doesn't play, I think the Packers lose. Really as simple as that. Uh, Much like you guys, I have it as a high-scoring game. I think both teams hit 30 uh, relatively easily. Um, But I think it's just a matter of if Kenny Clark plays or not. You know, can this team stop Alvin Kamara without Kenny Clark? I don't think so. Okay. So I talk my <laughs> well, no, no, no score. So it's like, no, uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have a score. I mean, hard hitting, hard hitting analysis here on Pulse of the Pack, everybody. This is right. what you're doing it for. Right. This is why so, I stay off the camera. It, is, it is a good point. It is 48 point. minutes out of the show. This will end up being the longest prediction uh, of a score we'll have all season long. So congratulations, Kyle. <laughs> Thank you. So. The Saints are ten and zero on yeah, Sunday. Try, try to fo- try to follow that up. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one. I'm going to figure out a way to do it. The Saints are ten and zero on Sunday Night Football under Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Packers haven't played well at Superdome, like you guys have mentioned. This seems like a prime spot. I picked the Packers to lose this game earlier in the year on our preseason prediction show. I picked the Packers to lose on Tuesday. However, I did say earlier in the show that it was time to pay the piper. And damn it, it is time for the Saints to pay the piper. The Packers are going to win on Sunday. Damn it. Uh, they are winning 31 to 28. Yes. I am with it. This Packers offense is better than the Saints offense. Aaron Rodgers is better than Drew Brees. This defense can do just enough to slow down the Saints. And you know what, Drew Brees, this score, I'll even go one further. I'll go all in on this. Kyle, when you make our little preview from this show later, make sure you add this part in. The score is going to be 31 to 21 and Drew Brees is going to do what garbage time Drew Brees does. And that is put in garbage time Drew Brees stats and get a garbage time touchdown. Just like he did Monday night against Las Vegas Raiders, where the score wasn't nearly as close as the final score indicated. 
he got a garbage time touchdown to make it look closer than it really did. So the score of this game is going to be 31 to 21. Breeze will score some meaningless touchdown with like seven seconds left. Oh, Packers it's going to be Taysom, it's going to be Taysom Hill, Jake. Come on. Taysom That's Hill how- will throw a touchdown pass to Jared <laughs> Cook in this game off a reverse from Ty Montgomery at some point. That will happen. I mean, yeah, I, I mean that, that's pending if Ty Montgomery doesn't fumble the kickoff beforehand. If he's, he's even Ty active, alone. he's on the injury report. So Was that too soon? You guys leave <laughs> Ty alone. Ty is one of my guys, so I was I will die on that hill at some point. But anyways, Packers win 31-28. We will wait all day for Sunday night, and it will be a happy one because the Packers are going to beat the Saints and right all of the wrongs from all the nonsense and all the crap that this team has to take from the national media that will know that for some reason doesn't go to the Saints and Drew Brees. And maybe some people will start to point out that this team has been the failure, and I use that term in quotes, that you claim this Packers team is all the time. Neither team's a failure. The thought of wasting your quarterback, that's a Hall of Famer, is stupid. That's I just want to throw that little qualifier in there too. But nonetheless – that is the end of our show. The Packers are going to win. Jason's a Debbie Downer because he's a loser and he's old and senile and he's cranky. And that just kind of happens when you haven't had it. Get well, off my lawn. Something like that. Thank you guys for tuning in. Game on Wisconsin. You can find us. It's game on WI.com. Like us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Game on WI. Tuesday nights. I'm sure you guys saw. We have Jay Swag Daddy, Jamal Williams. And we are doing the Jamal Williams, Jay Swag Daddy, Jay or Swag Bag giveaway. And we have from the link four. on it. It is. It is. We have the link on our Twitter page. You can find that. Donate your money. We have a weekly winner, which we will announce on Monday on our Twitter page. And we have a chance for you guys to win an 8 by 10 signed photo by Jamal Williams and a signed jersey by Jamal Williams just by donating. The more important part, obviously, the goal is to raise $5,000 between now and the end of the season. This goes to kids and families in need around the Christmas season. It's a toy drive and a bicycle drive. So if you feel the need to donate, Please do that. But that will be every Tuesday starting at 6 o'clock. It's us, myself, Jimmy Christensen, and Jamal Williams every Tuesday talking Packers football. So we're looking forward to that. Tomorrow is game day. We have game on fantasy starting at 10 a.m. One hour before kickoff. So at 6.20, we will have the pre-snap. That's hosted by Alex Strofe. You'll have myself and Jimmy Christensen. And shortly after the game tomorrow, post-game, we have a little bit of a an audible, if you will. We have the game on roundtable due to the time of the game and everything like that. So that will be myself, Dan Kotnick, and Todd Varney. I'm taking a little step inside of Lombardi's bar with some of those losers. So that'll be a fun little go for that. I'm so nice to everybody. No wonder nobody wants to do these shows with me. But that is that for everything. And then Monday, of course, we'll have happy hour. Tuesday, we go into the Jamal show. We got the Freezer podcast. We've got Lombardi's bar. And Wednesday, we've got the Quick Slants podcast. We've got the Brother to Brother podcast. We've got Today in Title 10. Any bit of content you guys can dream of having. And we're looking on getting all kinds of stuff even more between now and the end of the season. So thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. This is Pulse of the Pack, which you can catch us every Saturday at 4 o'clock. Next week, we will be previewing a 3-0 Packers team getting ready to take on the Atlanta Falcons, which will be Monday night football. So that will be a lot of fun. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. And, of course, go Pack, go.